rumor, a currently circulating story or report of uncertain or questionable truth. This is Rumors of Grace, where I talk to people rumored to have found beauty and truth in broken and uncommon places. I'm very excited today. On the phone with me is Mr. Keith Giles from Idaho. Keith, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Bob, for having me. It's an honor to be on your podcast. I've been, uh, I've, I've read, I've read your at least one of your books. Um, so you're an author. You also co-host a, a show that that I've really enjoyed called The Heretic Happy Hour. And if any of my listeners have not had a chance to to pull that up and listen to it, check it out. Keith, tell before we get into your own story, just explain what the Heretic Happy Hour is because probably you'd do a better job of explaining it than I could. Okay, yeah, I'll try. So here's what I think sets our podcast apart. So the Heretic Happy Hour podcast, uh, it's three hosts. So it's me and Jamal Javanji and Matthew DiStefano. All three of us are authors. What we have in common is all three of us publish our books through Choir Publishing. However, that's almost the only thing that we have in common. So the three of us have very different opinions uh, when it comes to theology and church and God and uh, doctrine and, and all those kinds of things. We have some things in common. Uh, quite often we'll, we'll discover common ground, but uh, we discuss topics of, um, we ask questions that most people aren't allowed to ask, you know, and um, we, we say that we leave no cow untipped and no stone unturned. Um, <laughs> I love that. Our motto, yeah, our motto is um, burning questions, not people. Yeah, that's and, great. Um, so yeah, what I love about it too is that, so you get you usually get at least three different opinions on whatever we're talking about, but what we get to model every single episode is what it looks like for brothers in Christ to disagree and still love and respect one another, because I still love those guys, and they love me, and, and you can hear it when we, when we talk. We have, we have a lot of fun. We laugh a lot. You know, we don't argue. It's not a lot of heat when we disagree. We're actually usually laughing uh, about it and kidding each other about it. And we never take it seriously. And so I think that's the beautiful thing about it is that it's refreshing for me to be to do a podcast on a regular basis with two other guys that disagree but still love and respect one another. And so I love that. Yeah, I love that too. That's, that's so good. And it it's not just... Uh, disagreeing if you haven't listened to the program it's you know sometimes you're on totally opposite ends of of the universe when it comes to <laughs> to to beliefs and faith and god and you know and, and that's what's so great about it is you get to encounter and engage and listen to questions that you know maybe you've never asked yourself or mm-hmm. you have burning deep inside of you and you're too afraid to ask uh, or you didn't really know that was there, and you need to ask it. So yeah. that's what I love about your about your podcast is you guys, like you said, there's no sacred cow there. Yeah, and you know, Bob, the other the other thing I think it's also important to point out as well about uh, the podcast and about the three of us is that, I mean, for for us as individuals, it's not as if our views are baked in stone and we're you know immovable. So I think that's also the reason why we can disagree without getting upset or emotional, because uh, I think all three of us recognize that we have something to learn. Mm. None of us feels like we've got it all figured out. And so, I mean, you and if you listen to the podcast, you know, you know, a running joke is how often I end up agreeing with one of my co-hosts when initially I'll disagree. Yeah. But, you know, then eventually I'll be like, well, gosh, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I think I agree. So. (laughs) 
uh, and so that happens a lot. So, you know, our, our views on many things are in flux anyway. We're holding these, our, our views and our, our, a lot of our beliefs very loosely. Um, and I think that's a good idea too, like to not be dogmatic about things. Yeah, that's great. I love that. Um, you're also an author. My most recent one is Jesus Unbound. It's called, the subtitle is Liberating the Word of God from the Bible. Yes, yes. And that's a, that's a book about just how we relate to the Bible and how should we relate to the scriptures. Right. Um, and then, yeah, the one before that was um, Jesus Untangled, yeah. Crucifying Our Politics to Pledge Allegiance to the Lamb. Yeah, I have both of those. Um, okay. we'll, get, we'll get into that in a minute. But before we do, I would love for you to just uh, tell me about your background, where did you grow up? What was your experience of your, your walk of, of faith and church? Because you have a very fascinating uh, uh, perspective, but also uh, your experience uh, of faith that brought you to where you are today and the things that you write about in your books and your podcasts. Can you tell me, can you set that up for us as far as, you know, where, what, what's your background? Where does it all come from? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll give it a shot. Um, uh, um, these are always interesting conversations. I always, I always feel a little weird when I start talking about this. I feel like you know, many years ago, I feel like you know, here we go, a land far, far away, a land far away. I was born, young, you know, whatever. Um, well, yeah, so I was born in Tennessee, um, and I'm an only child. Um, I only lived in, I was born in a little town called Brownsville, Tennessee. And I, we only lived in Tennessee, I think through maybe first grade. Um, and then my mom and dad moved, we moved up to Cal, to, sorry, to Texas. And I grew up most of my life on border towns in Texas. Mm. Uh, initially in a little tiny border town called Eagle Pass, Texas, that no one's ever heard of. It's like 150 miles southwest of San Antonio on the border. And then... I lived there up until almost junior high, um, and then ended up moving to El Paso, Texas, where I, I lived until I graduated college. So spiritually, we, I was not raised initially in a Christian home. So as a young boy, um, we didn't go to church. Hmm. This is back in, in Tennessee. When we moved to Texas for some reason, and I think it's because my mom and dad nearly got a divorce and then um, had reconciled. So I think when they moved to when they moved us to Texas, uh, they were kind of looking for some spiritual, you know, guidance for themselves and for the family. Uh, and we went all over the place. We visited Methodist churches. We almost became Mormons. Um, and we ended up at a, uh, the Lighthouse Free Will Baptist Church. And that's where, as a young man, I made a profession of faith. My mom and dad also did. And we were all three baptized together. And that's kind of how we ended up sort of, we just, I guess at that point we were Baptists. We ended up later on moving to El Paso. We became, we joined a Southern Baptist church. Um, and, you know, I kind of, I, I think like most people, I sort of had a meandering faith. Uh, in the beginning, when I first got saved, I was crazy. You know, like I was evangelizing everyone I knew as a young man. I mean, I was trying to witness to my cousins and, uh, my friends and I was just like really excited about Jesus and all that. Um, I got beat up once and then I uh, <laughs> kind of took it too far. So you're, anyway, you, were, you were persecuted for your faith, right? I guess. Well, I, I deserved it. I think I was being jerk. Uh, but um, but you know, in my in my um, high school years, 
I kind of drifted away from the faith a little bit. I mean, I was still a Christian. We attended church, but I, um, I was kind of living a double life, I think, you know, like none of my friends knew I was a Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, unless they went to, unless they happened to go to visit my church or something, but most of my friends didn't. And so the guys I hung around with, and I was kind of the leader of the pack there, we were just, uh, we were clowns and cut ups and, um, you know, we were always doing something crazy and trying to make people laugh or whatever. And, um, and so I was, I was sort of a closet Christian for a while. Uh, that lasted until I got to college. And, um, and then I got, we got involved with the Baptist Student Union on right. campus here at UT El Paso. And that's, I think, when I really, my, my faith, I had a sort of a renaissance of faith. Mm. Um, I, I suddenly met all these you know, guys and girls my age who really loved Jesus and they so and I was so inspired by their faith and by their joy and just uh, it was just incredible. I mean, uh, it was an amazing, amazing time for me. And um, that's probably when I started growing the most spiritually. And I think that's when I decided that I thought I wanted to maybe be in ministry full time. Yeah, I was going to ask. What, so that was in your college years? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, I have to I have to backpack a little bit because I know I've mentioned this on on a previous podcast that I was on um, uh, a while back, and I, and I mentioned this little detail. <clears throat> so if we go back to when I was still living in Tennessee, and when my parents got a divorce, uh, they were separated. Um, so I was like first grade, and I I was at my babysitter's house taking a nap, supposedly taking a nap in her in her on her bed with the door shut, and. Um, I remember, and again, this is bizarre because up to this point, I had not attended a church, uh, didn't, and wasn't quote unquote saved. Right. But I was talking to God, and mm. I was laying in my bed talking to God, and I said, God, I, I want you to get my mom and dad back together. Mm. And I said, God, if you'll do that, I'll be a preacher. Now, I'd only visited a church one time uh, with with my next door neighbor um, once before that. I don't even know how I knew what a preacher was or why I thought God wanted me to do that, but I kind of made this deal. And then, of course, my parents did get back together, and that's when we moved to Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, then, of course, that's when I, you know, we went to this church and I made a profession of faith and my whole family got saved. Um, but I didn't, it's not as if I sort of said, oh, well, I guess I need to be a preacher now. You know, mm-hmm. I, I didn't, I didn't really carry that around with me too seriously. It wasn't until college that, like I said, that I just genuinely got excited about Jesus and really thought, you know, I, I felt like I was gifted to teach and I felt like uh, I, I had some experience with our youth group and things like that where I, I was given opportunities to, to teach and stuff and I felt like, hey, I think maybe there's something here. Yeah. So, uh, so, ended, so, yeah, so then you went being, into, so then you decided, did you go to, to like a Bible college or a seminary? Oh, no. Um, no, I, I did not. And so, and this is actually probably something good to talk about because I honestly don't normally go into the, into details about this. Yeah. Because, like, you know, part of my bio is that I was, I'm a licensed and ordained minister of the gospel. That is true. I was licensed and ordained by my Southern Baptist Church. I have a, I have a certificate. Uh, I can, and I have married people uh, sure. before I'm, I'm deputized to do that. Um, but I did not attend a Bible college. So everything I know about the Bible is self-taught. So people like A.W. Tozer and another guy I look up to, his name is Steve Gregg. He's a really great Bible teacher. Um, and several other people, you know. Uh, and, and frankly, uh, 
Peter, James, and John <laughs> would also fall into that category as well, people that did not uh, go to Bible school. Um, so I did not go to a Bible school, but honestly, I'm glad I didn't because people I know uh, who have gone to Bible, Bible colleges or, or to seminaries, quite frankly, come out, I think, much worse for the wear. And that's just my experience. I, uh, I've, I have really good friends who totally love Jesus and were just like so, so connected to him and then went into a seminary and then came out very rigid. Um, you know, I, it's sort of like there's an indoctrination that kind of goes on. Sure. Uh, in, in a lot of things that I've seen, I don't want to. I don't want to paint with a too broad a brush there, but yeah, uh, no, I know it's been my experience, so I'm kind of glad I, I avoided that. Okay, so so did you then go from there into uh, quote ministry or pastoring? What what was your journey after college? Yeah, so well, well, I was still in college uh, when I got licensed and ordained, and I and I was near the end of my senior year. It's also the year I got married. Mm-hmm. And so the same year I got married is when I got licensed and ordained. And I initially served as a, I was just a music minister at the church that ordained me. Um, a few years after that, I became a youth pastor at, a, at another church, my wife's home church. Uh, I did youth ministry and children's ministry there. And then we moved to California where my wife and I together did um, children's ministry. I did that for probably like six or eight years. Mm. Um, and then we planted a church with some friends of ours, and then be, uh, I kind of became a children's pastor, youth pastor, and we did compassion ministries, which was ministering to the poor uh, there in Orange County. So in the mean, I mean, in the meantime, um, I mean, I read the Bible, I studied the Bible, I uh, I read lots of books. I've, I I continue. I've, I've it's one of my sicknesses. I collect books and I tend to read, <laughs> I tend to read theology books um, of all kinds. And especially lately when I stepped away from denominational uh, church, you know, and started doing house church, um, it kind of gave me permission to sort of read outside the lines of, you know, things that would have probably been frowned upon. Yeah. Uh, so, and then he, once I started doing that and uh, just reading sort of, again, sort of outside the, the box, that's when I, I think I really started going, huh, maybe I need to question some of the things I've, I've thought about in the past. Was there, you know, a lot of t- for a lot of us who come to some sort of, you know, call it deconstruction or a continued journey or whatever it may be that we've grown or evolved in our faith, a lot of times uh, there was some sort of event that propelled us there. Was there any event in your life that kind of said, uh, before we get into the details of, of this continued journey that, that you're on, because I think that's the meat of what I want to talk to you about. It, was that just a natural outgrowth of your curiosity and of your growth or was, was there something that happened? Um, well, yeah. I mean, I, I think I could probably point to several sort of beats and points in my life when I had different sort of realizations or epiphanies or whatever. But I think that if, if I could just pick one thing, the single most significant event in my life that really changed the course of my life, and I, I believe it's kind of what set me on the path I'm on now, um, was, I'm trying to think, gosh, it's been so long now. So this was probably, 11, let's say, 15 or so years ago. And um, 
it was about 15 years ago. I was writing, at the time I was writing uh, a column for Relevant Magazine for their website. And uh, it was called Subversive. And what I did was interview a whole bunch of different people. Uh, I interviewed Dallas Lillard and um, Matt Redman, the worship leader, and a bunch of people. And, um, and so one of the guys I interviewed, his name is Todd Hunter. And um, I asked him on this interview what he thought was the single biggest problem with the church in America at the time. And the answer he gave me totally rocked my world. Uh, what he said was that the problem was that Christians in America fundamentally do not understand the gospel. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, because you know the gospel is not about saying a prayer so you could go to heaven when you die. Now, I had been a licensed entertained pastor. I had served on staff at many different churches. I had preached sermons, taught the Bible, uh, you know, for, for over a decade at that point. And when he said that the gospel was not about saying a prayer to go to heaven when you die, I didn't know what he meant. Mm. And so he unpacked that for me and said, you know, well, the gospel uh, is what Jesus says it is. And, and it's found in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. That's the, they're called the Gospels, right? So if you want to know what the Gospel is, listen to Jesus and turn to the Gospels. And in the Gospels, Jesus says the good news or the Gospel is to repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is near enough to touch and you can enter the kingdom of God right now. You don't have to wait until after you're dead uh, to experience the rule and reign of God in your life right now. And I had never heard that in my life. And really, it completely, I mean, it put me on my knees. It, it, it had, I had to just rethink everything I thought I knew about what it meant to be a Christian. Suddenly then being a Christian was about following Jesus. Mm. And I decided I, I wasn't following Jesus. I was in a club called Christianity. I, say, I had said the magic prayer so that I could go to heaven when I died. But beyond that, I... I didn't really uh, have any intention or even, I know, even an awareness that I should be following Jesus in mm-hmm. my actual life. So that's, once I started asking that question and I started taking seriously that I needed to follow Jesus, it just changed everything. And so I think that's kind of what set me on the course where I, I ended up today. And, and up until that time, you were, you know, you were a writer for, for Christian um, periodicals. You were yep. in, quote, ministry. And yep. if anyone would have asked you, you would have said, yeah, of course I'm a follower of Jesus, right? Oh, yes. You know what's even more depressing is that the other day I was going through a box of some old stuff. I, I used to also write for this magazine. Uh, it was a print magazine called Fuse Magazine. It was a yep. Christian sort of music magazine. And I, and I used to write the very back column. So every every issue, I sort of had an editorial page at the back where I would write about, you know, Christian things. And I found one the other day, and I pulled it out, and, oh, my gosh, it was horrific. I was like, what was I thinking? Well, you know, like, I would never write that today. Um, so it's just like realizing, yeah, I've come a long way uh, from, from those days. Yeah, so what was the – I know on – I've read your books – and one of the things in Jesus Unbound, you talk about uh, that Jesus is the word of God, mm-hmm. that the Bible is not the word of God, that the scriptures is not the word of God, but Jesus is the word of God. Right. You know, John chapter one says, 
that Jesus is the Word, that was the Word was in the beginning, the Word was with God, and ultimately the Word became flesh. Uh, yes. Colossians tells, chapter one tells us the same thing. So unpack that for me a little bit and tell, tell, talk to me about how that's a different, totally different perspective from modern evangelical understandings. Oh, yeah. Well, absolutely. And man, so first of all, just the idea um, to say that the Word of God is a book. I mean, I think it's just the automatic assumption. And I know it is because when I, when I started challenging that idea online on Facebook and on Twitter, and on my blog, I got so much pushback from Christians. That how dare I uh, say that um, the Word of God is a person, you know, not a book? Well, first of all, that's what the book says. Um, the book tells us that the Word of God is, as you just mentioned, those verses and many other verses, that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we've been trying to put the Word of God back into a book ever since. Mm. Um, the other, the other, and I'll be fair now, there are, you can find evidences uh, in the New Testament where the phrase word of God is used to, to speak of the gospel, the message, the order, the spoken message of the gospel itself right. is sometimes called the good word, uh, the, the word of God. But, but neither, neither the gospel nor Christ uh, are expressed in a book or are contained or bound in a book called the Bible. That's correct. Uh, and the thing about the Bible is this. This is what I'm trying to, if I could just summarize what I'm trying to say in, in, in Jesus Unbound, is just to point out to Christians that the Bible never points us back to the Bible. Mm. So, for example, you know, and I see this all the time. You know, if you ask a Christian, what is a Christian's ultimate authority? Automatic reflex response is the Bible. The Bible is our authority. Really? Because when I read the Bible, in the Bible, I read Jesus saying, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Mm. Oh, so according to the Bible, our ultimate authority is Christ, not the book. So the book points us to Christ, uh, not back to itself. And the huge, huge mistake we have made, unfortunately, um, is to elevate a book that, by the way, we wrote. Uh, we elevate this book that we wrote about God and even about Christ, we elevate it to the same level of Christ, or even, frankly, above him. So it's Father, Son, and Holy Bible. Right. And the Bible takes the place of Christ for many Christians. In other words, they have a relationship with a book. They don't have a relationship with an actual spiritual being called Christ. Mm. And that is the, that's the tragedy, because that book that they worship and, and love so much uh, in, is intended to point them to that relationship. That's good, and you know, even Jesus Himself, Keith, as I as I have come to the same realization, even He said very, very specifically when uh, the in the in the historical understanding and writings that we see uh, in the Gospels, where the teachers would come to Him and the other uh, scribes and and Pharisees would come to Him and say, try to point out the scripture that they held so highly, he would continually say, well, Moses says this, but mm -hmm. I say this. And, you're, yes. and the prophets say this, but I say this. And many times contradicting uh, what was in the Old Testament. Oh, uh, yes. And so even he himself was saying, yeah, that's great that, that the scriptures say about, the, uh, you know, say these things, but they're actually talking about me. I'm mm -hmm. the word. Uh, and you've misunderstood what they're saying. And let me, let me explain to you, because I'm the word. 
I say this, you say this, but actually here's the truth about it. And yeah. that to me, that's, that's very compelling. Oh yeah, absolutely. And see that you're exactly right. I think um, Christians today that elevate the Bible to this level that it doesn't deserve. It's not, it's not, um, we shouldn't be lifting a book that we wrote about God to this level. Um, and, but it's exactly, you're right. You know, when Jesus says to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you find life. Mm-hmm. Understand what Jesus is saying there. Now, let me just paraphrase what he's saying. There is no life in the Bible. Mm-hmm. You will not find life in the Bible. Now, you will find that the Bible points to life and that life is found in Christ, but it's only experienced when you actually experience Christ for yourself. Yes. Now you have experienced life. Um, my friend Matthew DeStefano, who's my, one of my co-hosts for the Heritage Happy Hour, um, you know, he talks about how, he uses this beautiful metaphor about how the Bible, I'm sorry, yeah, the Bible is like a menu. And unfortunately, a lot of Christians treat the Bible, you know, they, they'll open up the menu and they'll look at all this wonderful, amazing food and then close it up and mm. never taste it, never eat it, never ingest it, never enjoy the experience of what, you know, is pictured in the menu. The Bible is wants us to taste and to experience, you know, uh, an ex- a relationship with a real uh, spiritual being, which is Christ. Uh, and unfortunately, we just look at the, we look at the pretty pictures and we close it up and, and we stop there. And that's really sad. Yeah, that's, that's a great illustration. Um, I, I know, I know for, for a lot of people listening, that might be one of the first times they've heard that. And explain what you mean, Keith, when you say, well, we wrote the Bible. Because a lot of times you hear growing up and many people believe, no, God wrote the Bible. It's inspired. Yeah, man may have mm-hmm. wrote it, but it's every word is, is, is true because it's God's word. What, what would be your answer to that? Well, that is one perspective. Um, I, I uh, used to hold that perspective. Um, but the more I've studied the Bible and the more I've looked at it, um, the more I just had to be honest with myself that it's, I, I would still say it's inspired. I think I just mean something different by the term inspired than, than a lot of people. Um, I, think it's, I think it is a mistake to assume that because the Bible is, is quote unquote inspired, uh, that that means A, it's infallible, it can't have no mistakes, and B, as you said, well, God wrote it. Well, God did not write it. We wrote it. And because we wrote it, there are mistakes. There are contradictions. And again, this isn't something that's a surprise to most uh, Jewish believers, by the way, because they look at their Hebrew scriptures as a conversation. They they recognize that, you know, uh, Moses says one thing about um you know, sacrifice, but Isaiah challenges that idea about sacrifice, and Hosea also challenges it, and David has another opinion, and and they're okay, they're comfortable with that, right? So to ask the question, like, to act as if there is only one biblical view on a given topic is erroneous. It's not the, it's not the case. The Bible, um, the Bible disagrees with itself because Isaiah doesn't always agree with, with uh, David and, and Moses doesn't always agree with Jeremiah uh, on different topics. And again, that's okay if you understand, uh, if you value the, uh, the testimony of those prophets when they are saying, this is my understanding and experience of God. And, 
uh, and those experiences are valid, but they're not, um, they shouldn't become a, a rule of, un, unto themselves. And so uh, there are, uh, I think we should just be honest, that there are some contradictions, there are some mistakes, there are some um, differences of views on certain things within the Old Testament scriptures. And I would say that the only way to really break that tie is Christ. So mm. I, I'm arguing for a Christ-centered perspective on Scripture rather than a flat Bible perspective on Scripture. And I think actually Jesus and Paul and all the apostles and the early church, um, that is exactly the, the view that they took. Uh, they started with Christ. And, uh, and Paul says this. When Paul says, he says, to this day, a veil covers our eyes whenever we read the Old Testament Scriptures. And he says, only in Christ is the veil removed. Well, what that should tell you is if you attempt to read and understand the Old Testament scriptures, apart from reading them through the lens of Christ, you are going to get it wrong. Right. You are not going to have a clear picture of who God is and what God is like. Jesus is the Word made flesh. As it says in the Gospel of John, Jesus is, um, he is the only one who has ever seen God at any time. This is what John says. It's a very scandalous thing that John uh puts forth in the first chapter of the Gospel of John, to say that no man has ever seen God at any time except for Christ. Mm. And that and that the reason he came was to make the Father clear to us. Well, what that tells us is that before Christ came, we did not have a clear picture of who the Father was. Otherwise, why would he need to come and make it clear for us? Yeah, that's great. Uh, that's great. Um, and that's so refreshing it, what does that understanding do and what does it chat? What other sacred cows does it flip over? Because if you start going down that road uh, and start saying, well, the Bible is not the word of God, Jesus is the word of God and the Bible points mm-hmm. to Jesus. Then you've got to start saying, well, then I've got some other sacred cows that I've got to deal with, right? Oh, yes. Well, yes. And, and, and let's just be honest. Um, once you do start down that perspective, which again, I, I think is what Jesus and Paul and all the other apostles in the early church, uh, this is what they did, but it's going to start pulling the thread for many of our assumptions, yeah. um, which I think is a good thing. I think we have some assumptions that shouldn't be there. So to answer your question, uh, I've often said this, um, and I think I alluded to this in the Bible as well, and, and the, sorry, in, in uh, my book, Jesus Unbound as well, that the that there's a difference between something being biblical, because by the way, I hear this all the time, right? We want a more biblical world. We want the Bible in, the, in our schools. We need, we need a biblical uh, worldview. You know, if, something, if someone suggests something, people will say, well, is that biblical? Everything has to be biblical. And I, and I just want to come out and say, I do not want a more biblical world. I don't want a more biblical worldview. I don't want a more biblical country or nation or church. Or anything else, and here's why: because if I'm if I'm looking at the Bible, and if I'm wanting something to be quote unquote biblical, well, then I can easily use the Bible. And by the way, people have done this for centuries. You can use the Bible to justify polygamy, uh, patriarchy, slavery, genocide, um, yeah. many many horrible things that that are easily justified by pointing to the scriptures and saying. These ideas are biblical. Right. Now, there's a difference between being biblical and being Christ-like. Right. And I think, if, again, if you start with Christ, 
if you know him, you abide in him, he abides in you, you have a, a deep, intimate experience and knowledge of Christ. You know his heart. And if, by the way, if you know his heart, you know the Father's heart. Then if you start with Christ, then things like patriarchy, polygamy, slavery, genocide, war, all these things, they are not justifiable right. through the lens of Christ. And that is the difference. Yeah, no, that that's wonderful. Um, what is your perspective on um, it, Jesus is the word of God made flesh? I've heard Richard Rohr say this. I've heard St. Francis wrote about this, St. Bonaventure, that uh, Richard Rohr says it this way. Well, for several billions of years before we had the Bible and before humanity even existed, you know, depending on how you view creation and evolution and all of that, uh, let's just say a few million years, let's just be conservative. Uh, what, what was God doing? What was God doing during that time if there was no Bible and no physical Jesus? Was, was the Trinity sitting on their hands and doing nothing? Mm-hmm. Um, no, there was creation. There, was, there, was, there were things happening in the cosmos. And, you know, that brings to life in Romans chapter one, it talks about creation testifying and actually being, you know, these, these writers call it the first Bible, that yep. there seems to be an, uh, an equal that creation uh, testifies and is much a, a Christ-like uh, sign as, as the Bible points to Christ, so does creation. What's your view on that in that perspective? Well, I agree with that. And uh, I think I think it's also interesting that Jesus quite often used points to nature um, in many of his stories and parables and teachings to explain who what God is like and, and who God is. So I absolutely agree with that. I think uh, this brings me back to my um, something I was going to say about inspiration when we talk about inspiration of scripture. Um and it's a slightly different view of inspiration than I think I, I started out with. And I think, it, and I do think, by the way, this speaks to what you're talking about. So let me know if I'm getting off, off course. Sure. But I think this is, I think this is correct. So, and I use this analogy. So, like, if, uh, and this is real, by the way, this happens to me quite often. If I'm driving in the car and I flip on the radio or I put a song on or something and I hear a song, and it doesn't even have to be a Christian song. Usually, it isn't. It's just a song. But as I'm listening to the lyrics. You know, I feel like the Holy Spirit is going to, is speaking to me some amazing, powerful truth in that moment that touches me deeply. That that you know, it, it's in some way it's a divine connection that God has spoken to me and connected to me through this through this song, right? In, in an unexpected way. So, and I'm not kidding. I mean, I'm serious. I would I would I would tell you as I, if I was telling you what what I experienced. I would I mean that God. The creator of the universe spoke to me and connected with me through the lyrics of this random song on the radio by someone who isn't even a Christian. Okay, and I would, but I would call that song inspired uh, for those reasons uh, because God, the creator of the universe, spoke to me something that was true in a spiritual way and it connected with me. Uh, and it was directly directed to my heart and to my uh, you know experience. Now, so when I say that song. Inspired? Do I mean that God wrote that song? Well, no, God didn't write the song. This person, you know, this this artist wrote the song. Do I mean that the song is inerrant? Do I mean the song is infallible? 
That's a dumb, what? no, songs aren't inerrant, aren't, songs aren't infallible, that's not what I mean. Do I mean I'm gonna take that song and paste it in the back of my Bible? No, I don't mean that either. But, but yet, that song is no less inspired. Right. And I would say that is true of nature, that's true of conversations I've had with other people. I've had conversations with friends over coffee where they will just say something to me and, and it lands in such a way that I know that wasn't them. That was God speaking to me through them right there. Mm. Like that right there was God. That was his voice to me mm. in that moment. Um, and so, again, I think inspiration, God is able, God, God is not, is what I mean. God is not bound by a book. God is not bound by what he did and said 2,000 years or more years ago. Right. I mean, I think it's wonderful that we have testimonies of that and we have you know the writings of those things. I'm grateful. I'm so grateful. I love the Bible. I read it and study it all the time. I'm constantly reading and studying the Bible. I'm grateful for the Bible. I love the Bible. But just because the canon was closed, uh, you know, a few thousand years ago, God has not stopped speaking. Right. God is still moving. And, and by the way, if I could somehow destroy and burn every Bible on this planet, let me tell you, I would not have removed the word of God from this planet. Right. I will not have removed the inspiration of the living God or his ability to connect and speak to his people uh, because I took away a Bible. So God is not bound by the book. He is not limited by the writings. Uh, again, love them, grateful for them, but he transcends the Bible. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I think inspiration is so much bigger than we've made it. And it's certainly not contained to the, you know, the English Bible. That's good. That's so good. And that's so rich and it's so freeing because it opens up your heart and your mind to experience and see Christ working and alive. And like you said, the inspiration all around you. Um, and like, yeah. like I said, in, in so many, it, we, seem, we seem to think that God um, started speaking and acting and, and, and actually engaging with human, humanity, you know, uh, 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 3,000 years ago uh, because we have Jesus in the New Testament for a couple thousand years and then 1,500 years before that you had the Old Testament. Well, what was God doing on this earth and how was he speaking and engaging with humanity before that? And then what about before humanity? Mm-hmm. How, what was he doing? Um, I think we forget that and we don't ponder that. Um, yeah. So, so that. Well, can I can I also take it a little bit a step further from that too? Um, that not only you know yes God God was speaking and, and uh, inspiring uh, people in the Hebrew tradition and and people during the first century you know when Christ comes and, and the apostles after them and, and, and things like that. But is God only? speaking to Hebrew people? Like, did God never reveal himself to Native Americans or to Asians or to people in India or to people in Africa? Like, really? Do we really think that that God, the God who so loved the world, is only concerned at all with speaking to only a few people um, who live, you know, in the the Middle East? Um, Again, that's another idea that, that challenges people, but but I would say we did, you know, Heretic Happier did a podcast. One of my favorite ones we ever did was finding Christ in non-Christian things. Yes. And so, for example, the teachings of Buddha that came before Christ. 
So whenever you see, if you look at certain of the teachings of Buddha and you see, you read some of the teachings of Buddha and you realize, you know what, that sounds a little bit like what Jesus said. Yeah, so where do you think that came from? Right. Your, your options are to say that this guy who was a pagan, without any connection to God at all, just figured this stuff out on his own a few hundred years before Jesus showed up. Well, is that, are you okay with that? That, that we didn't need divine revelation for this guy to figure it out hundreds of years before Jesus showed up on the scene? Or, this is what I would suggest, maybe someone, anybody, who is seeking God and seeking truth, uh, maybe God honors that. And maybe he gives them revelation. Yeah. And if anything, what we should say is, the fact that someone hundreds of years before Christ received similar revelation should make us excited. We should say, yes. There it is. God is speaking. And he's, he's, not, he's again, not a respecter of persons. He's, he's willing to speak truth to anybody who is open and willing to listen and receive. Yeah, huh. yeah. Yeah, I know. I agree with you 100%. And I, I think that is a beautiful way to look at it. And it is a way to see God uh, revealing himself in, in all, all creatures. And like so many people have said is that everything belongs um, and mm-hmm. where you find truth, there you find God and where you find God, there you find Christ. Yes. Um, you know, I think the, the other beautiful thing too, which has been such a, uh, I, I guess it shouldn't be scandalous, but to many people it is, is when you say that Jesus is just like God, um, that's easy for us to understand. But when you start saying God is just like Jesus, Yep. Then you have to start rethinking things because, you know, God is this all-knowing um, Zeus-like creature uh, that we fabricated, and Jesus yep. is His Son, who is the exact replica of Him. But if you flip it and say, "No, God is just like Jesus," because yes. they're one and the same. If you've seen mm-hmm. me, you've seen the Father. Uh, well, how? What was Jesus like? Well, He was always forgiving. He was always loving. He was never condemning. Uh, he was uh, he he was he was perfect perfect love. He was perfect wisdom. Um, well, then God must be the same way. But yet, yeah. but yet in our minds and in our constructs, God is very different than Jesus, right? Oh yes, that is the you're right, my friend. That is the radical idea um, that that I think. Well, I know most Christians, certainly in the West, have not fully embraced. And uh, that's one of the things I talk about in, in Jesus Unbound as well. And it's funny because that's the kind of stuff that people will call me a heretic for. But I'm like, all I'm doing is affirming what, what Jesus says. And I'm affirming what the New Testament reveals, that that the Father, that, that Jesus perfectly reveals the Father better than anyone else, including Moses and Jeremiah and Isaiah and all those guys. Like, Jesus is showing us who the Father is and what the Father is like. Again, if you're if you're committed to a flat Bible perspective, well, then that's going to be really hard for you to accept because you need Isaiah and Jeremiah and Moses and all those guys to be equally true, uh, as equally true as, as Jesus is. But uh, if you're honest, you can't have it both ways. Or you end up with a schizophrenic God, a God who sometimes is loving and forgiving and sometimes is wrathful and destroys everything. Right. Um, but 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 again, if you if you're going to accept that version, then you're kind of projecting Jesus' revelation because Jesus is saying, "If you've seen me, 
You've seen the Father. When Jesus says, no one has ever seen God, or no one starts, Jesus says in uh, Matthew, um, no one knows the Father except for the Son and the one to whom the Son chooses to reveal the Father. So again, without understanding Jesus, you don't see the Father. Mm. And and again, that you're right. This is such a radical idea that most of us, um, most Christians have fully Embrace because let's get down to it. Why? Because it's going to mean they're going to have to look at parts of the Old Testament and and say, I think he's wrong. You know, when 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 David talks about how God would delight when you bash the babies against the rocks, uh, no, he's wrong about that. Or when Isaiah talks about the wrath of God and you know coming and destroying and killing all these people, well, no, that's what he probably thought. But that was a, those are all of these are pre-Christian ideas, right? And we have to understand that uh, once Jesus comes and gives us this new understanding of Revelation, we have to accept it. Uh, we can't sort of try to mix it together; it doesn't mix. Right, right, and and also the early uh, Hebrew and Middle Eastern cultures that were in the prophets in those they were absorbing and surrounded by other cultures that yes. that were. And, and religions that that they were just interpreting it through those eyes too, um, mm-hmm. of seeing, uh, you know, child sacrifice and uh, you know attributing the 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 victory over armies and the enemies to God uh, and mm-hmm. those things, which you know, as you look back and you look at it through the Jesus lens, and you'd have to say. You know, like Jesus said many times, well, I'm telling you something different. Yeah. And um, you have to say, okay, well, is were they wrong? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yes. Uh, I think it, yes. Was, it was a fuller revelation <laughs> of God. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. When, when, when the disciples are following the old covenant scriptures and they're following the example of one of the greatest prophets the Jewish people have ever had, which was Elijah, and they say, Jesus, should we call down fire from heaven to consume these wicked people? And Jesus says to them, you know not what spirit you are of. Mm. Well, you know what that is? That's also a critique of whatever spirit Elijah was of. Right. Which we would assume was the true God. But Jesus is sort of suggesting that no, that was not the Father. Uh, that wasn't the spirit, the same spirit that Christ is representing. So, yeah, you you need to... You you have to grapple with those things, and it's a hard thing to grapple with. But yeah, that's uh, good. That's good. What? Uh, let's shift gears a little bit. What What brings you the most joy, Keith? Keith Giles. What makes you? What gives you the most joy? Wow. Well, you know what? <laughs> what gives me the most joy, especially lately, um, is just spending time with the Lord with my wife. Um, she and I since. We, we kind of left our house church family behind when we moved out here to Idaho. Um, and uh, we really miss gathering with our church family. And so it's just been Wendy and I together. And lately, though, it's been really, really sweet to just have our time together where we just kind of will sit together in, in silence and listen to the Lord's voice together and just share with each other, you know, uh, the presence of the Lord. And I, it's, it's the best. I really, really love it. It's one of my favorite things. Mm. That's so good. That's so good. Thank you so much for for your time. How can people? Uh, I, I feel like we're just touching the tip of the iceberg on this. 
If people mm. want to dig deeper, I know you your your books, Jesus Unbound, and then Jesus Untangled, which is you get more into the the mix of American Christianity and politics and all that, right? Yes, and I, I, that book is uh, when I when I. I published that book. It actually came out on Inauguration Day, on Trump's Inauguration Day, so that was great timing. Wow. Um, and it's, it's of course, probably even more relevant now than it was when it came out. I feel like Christians are even more entangled with their politics uh, than ever before. And so that my goal there, my goal with Jesus Untangled and, and similar to Jesus Unbound is this. Um, what, I'm, what I'm doing in both books, and, I, and probably every book I'm going to write for the next four or five books I'm going to write, uh, is essentially this. I, I'm, I'm seeing things that Christians, especially in the West and America, we tend to put between us and God. And and the first one I wrote, Jesus Untangled, was recognizing, well, one of the number one things we put between us and God is politics. Mm. And, and I feel like we need to remove that. It's like we allow things to eclipse God and Christ. And, and uh, so the second book, Jesus Unbound, was recognizing that one of the things that we allow to come between us and God is the Bible. And, uh, and so in, in, in that sense, both books are similar in that what I'm trying to do is to point out that we sort of have erected these sort of idols. Sometimes they're even good things like the Bible, right? The Bible's a great right. thing. But, but we, we, have put, we have allowed other things to take the place of our first love, which is Christ, and, or should be. And that's what I'm trying to do. In both books, I'm just trying to, to point that out, hopefully let people notice that, oh my gosh, yes, I think maybe in my life, Politics has become too important, or the Bible has become uh, too important, and I need to actually go and return to a relationship with with Christ. And so, yeah, both books are kind of wanting to to point that out and to redirect people back to to Jesus. That's awesome. Who was the most most interesting, or who what was your favorite interview on your podcast, The Heretic Happy Hour? Because you guys get to interview some really super interesting people. Who was your favorite so far? Oh boy, you're gonna put me in the spot. Um, well, you know what? I I was thrilled when we got John Fuglesing on. Um, I love him. He's just one of my heroes. Uh, even though he's someone who's a very political guy, um, but I just he has a lot of great ideas, and I feel like he does a great job of pointing out uh, on his radio show um, inconsistencies with with the American Western American Christians and how how little they're following Jesus. So I was really thrilled to have him on the show. Uh, I was excited at Bart Ehrman, um, who's a very famous atheist. Mm. Um, even though his his interview frustrated me a little bit, I was still really very blessed um, that we got to have it, had a chance to talk to him. Mm. And um, and then of course I think Richard Rohr. I mean, my gosh, that was amazing. And we're actually hoping to have him back on again. That's great. Um, he's he's just a he's a gift. Yeah, yeah, he is a gift. His book of. Um Falling upward was has been so influential in my life and in important, mm. important times. Um, he just has such an amazing ability to to just speak from and use a language that is so uh, not simultaneously unique, but also so familiar to our own hearts and spirits that uh, it he just is able to put a language to to what's deep inside of us. Yeah, absolutely. You know, he's just one of those guys too that has such a genuine connection with God that just, even just to sit and listen to his voice when he talks, like, you know that he is sharing nuggets of truth that he hasn't pulled out of a book. <laughs> right. These are these are things that he has meditated on 
uh, and spent time on and really, I think, received some genuine truth and genuine revelation from God. And I really appreciate that about him. And, and, and it's always something that he shares in such a uh, humble way. Like it never comes across like he's some sort of spiritual expert. You know, yeah. uh, I really appreciate that. Yeah, that's great. How can people read more? Do you still blog and write for other uh, blogs or websites or magazines? Um, not so much anymore. I mean, I've contributed articles here and there, but not on a regular basis. But I do blog. So my blog is uh, on Pathios, uh, mm-hmm. and you can find it just by going to my name. It's keithgiles.com, and that'll, if you type that in, keithgiles.com, that'll take you to my uh, Pathios page. And then, of course, the Heritage Cafe Hour podcast, and then I'm on Facebook and Twitter, and uh, the Patreon page as well, where I, um, I'm starting to add even more content on there for people that support uh, my ministry. So I'm going to be doing like some webinars and some conferences, some virtual conferences there as well, um, as well as providing, you know, unique blog articles and things like that that you can only get through that page. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Keith, thank you so much for spending this hour with me. I know you took it out of your busy busy evening with your family, but uh, I really appreciate it. And I hope, you know, we have, we can just do our part in a small way to expose uh, both your, your, your ministry, your, your message and what you're doing to, to a much wider audience. Cause I think what the things that you're saying and you're grappling with are so important um, because they're transformative uh, and not just that, but they're Christ centered, which mm. um, I I think that when it all boils down to it, that's what's the most important is you keep pointing us back to Jesus and you're not afraid to turn over those sacred cows and say, hey, you know what? This is not in line with what Jesus is saying. This is not Christ and uh, we need to rethink it. So thank you for that. Thank you for being prophetic in that way. Uh, Bob, thank you. You're a blessing, man. I appreciate you uh, having me on and uh, letting letting us just have this conversation. It's just uh, I love I love that there are podcasts out there like yours. Uh, I want I want more people to have more conversations like this. Um, like you said at the beginning, um, there, there's almost like this revolution going on, and it seems like podcasts are a big part of that. Um, and I'm really grateful for that. So thank you, thank you so much for asking the questions and giving an oper- a space and an opportunity to, to have these kind of uh, explorations together, you know, that people can listen and think. And, and like you said, hopefully uh, it points them all back to Christ. Absolutely. Thank you, Keith. Uh, your blessing. And we will hopefully talk to you soon. Yeah, I look forward to it. Thanks a lot, Bob.